Let's take our Bibles. We're back on track in this new year, and uh, we're getting back into the book of 1 John. So turn your Bible, in your Bible, over to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to finish chapter 2 today, verses 24 uh, through 29, in a message that I've entitled, Discerning Deception. And so with that, why don't we take our hearts to the Lord uh, in prayer. Father, once again, we just say thank you for meeting with us and ministering to us so faithfully already, God, and we just want to proclaim your faithfulness. Lord, great is your faithfulness. And so we want to pray, God, that you just continue uh, to meet with us and minister to us through the study of your word. Uh, Touch hearts, change lives. God, you know us each intimately, personally. You know our needs specifically. And so we just lay our cares and concerns at your feet. And we pray, God, have your way and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a fat minute since we've been here, right, in in 1 John. It's been a few weeks through the holiday season. The basic warning that John was sounding in the previous passage, the dangers and deceptions of living uh, in the last hour. And he spoke not only of the Antichrist, that is with the capital A, uh, who is coming, that literal, uh, physical deceiver, that man of sin who will serve as a political, economic, and spiritual figurehead who will lead the world and rebellion against God and try in vain to make war with Jesus Christ. But he said there's also many antichrists, lowercase a, who are in the world even now, who seek to lead people astray through paths offering alternatives to Christ or substitutes to Christ or even imitations, what we might call counterfeit Christ. And so John is seeking to sharpen our awareness, our alertness to the various and sundry obstacles that can impede and stifle our relationship with the Lord. And though he spoke of deceptions and he spoke of deceivers for which you and me, we are to be on high alert. I trust that you are aware of the fact that spiritual deceivers are not the only danger to your relationship, your fellowship with God. It could be work associates, it could be people you hang around. Guys, even the inclinations of your own heart that will seek to lead you astray and away from Jesus. But the point is plain enough, there are things in and around your life that will seek to draw you away from God. And you and me, we must be on guard. Now, in our present passage, John is going to place another tool in our belt that will aid us in preserving our relationship, maintaining that tight-knit fellowship with God. So let's turn our attention, 1 John uh, chapter 2, let's look at verse 24. He says, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. So John says, therefore. And as you well know, anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, we need to stop and consider what it's there for. I mean, it's often uh, a hinge kind of a word upon which a door swings, taking us out of a principle and into something practical. You know, we've been given an observation, dangers, deceptions, hindrances, hurdles, things that will keep us from either forming or maintaining a strong relationship, a close-knit fellowship with God. So we've been given the observation. Now, John says, it's time for a little application. Here's what we see, again, those hindrances, those hurdles, here's what we're to do. And John says, 
here's how we protect ourselves against the, the spirit, the dangers of the spirit of the Antichrist, or the spirit of Antichrist, I should say. Those things that would lead us astray or otherwise encourage us to drift away from God. He says, stay close to that core message of Christianity that you have heard from the beginning. He's exhorting his reader to remain true to that fundamental, uh, that foundational apostolic teaching that they've had and that they've received from the very beginning of their relationship with God. Now we have to concede something here and that is this, not everyone has had the privilege of solid doctrine, uh, solid expositional teaching from their early formative years as a Christian. Sometimes people get swept up, don't they, in some weird group or some out of balance extreme and in some ways it can actually work against them. But John knew that wasn't the case with these people. He could simply call them back to that which they had learned from the very beginning of their walk and their relationship with God. But let me say this. Even at that, any time uh, someone is saved, guys, it always happens the same way, doesn't it? It's by God's grace through simple faith in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, after receiving the grace of God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ and uh, they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they're saved and all of that, they might just immediately go off into some weird thing. But salvation itself only happens one way. And so even at that, there's a sense in which anyone can be called back to that fundamental principle of the gospel. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, he put it like this. He said, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you, notice, into the grace of Christ, to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach to any other gospel to you, then what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. That is anathema, condemned to the deepest uh, depths of hell. He says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you've received, let him be accursed. And so Paul is warning the Galatians of the danger dare I say, the disaster of chasing after some new doctrine, uh, some different gospel, which in fact is not a different gospel because there's really only one. What Paul is saying is what John just said, we're to continue in that which we've heard, which we've learned from the beginning. Guys, don't drift from the simplicity and the power of that message. It will safeguard you from being led astray. To the Corinthians, Paul said, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted, notice, from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, guys, the danger lies in the desire that we share for something new. 
It seems by nature as human beings, we're almost always attracted to new things because we tend to associate new with the idea of better. But hear me when I tell you the best way to combat being led astray by the untrue is to stay away from things that are new. You've probably heard it before. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not. Come on. It's not true. When it comes to the truth of the word of God, let that abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning. And I'm going to be honest. This can be a real challenge for people. We're tempted to be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, some new revelation, you know, the spirit. And of course, I put put spirit in air quotes because it's kind of a tongue in cheek, but it's the word that people will use. You know, the spirit is doing this over here and then the spirit's doing that over there. And we're tempted to chase after those things. And ladies and gentlemen, this, this newfangled kind of Uh, doctrine or this new teaching or this whatever these kinds of things will only listen to me continue to accelerate and escalate in these last days to which you and me we have been called Paul told Timothy for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine But according to their, look at this, own desires, there's that word, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves. In other words, it's not going to be just here and there sprinkled around, but I mean, it'll be prevalent, it'll be predominant, it'll be everywhere, you see. They'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, but you, you see the exception? You, be watchful in all things endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's your call, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm just telling you, there are some crazy thoughts out there. Especially in this, shall I say, again, do you mind if I throw up the air quotes? It kind of gets on some people's nerves. Honestly, it kind of gets on my nerves. Air quote. But uh, this, this woke culture that has crept into our society. And, and I'm going to tell you, it has infiltrated so much ministry. People preaching all kinds of crazy, even blasphemous things, teaching others that uh, the Bible doesn't really mean what it says and that God is essentially okay with every kind of sin under the sun. I'm okay, you're okay. We can all lead these reprobate lives of unbridled, unrepentant depravity and God's good with it. But guess what? That's not true. It's not true. How did Paul tell Timothy to combat the dangers of deception? Check it out. He said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Preach the word teach the word, rebuke. You've got to tell people to toe the line. Listen, you've got to stay true to the straightforward, simple message of the word of God. 
And I'm just going to tell you guys, if I get put on trial by the proverbial uh, jury of, of people and, and they, they say, look, you know, the thing about Jeff is, is that he's, all he ever tells us is what the Bible says. <laughs> hey, listen, I'll stand guilty as charged. He's never bringing us anything new. He's, he's just always teaching that Bible. Guilty as charged. I'll be, I'll be satisfied with that. Right? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. Stay the course. It's, guys, it's not my aim to, to bring some new thing to you. And family, we find this exhortation over and over again throughout our New Testament. In the book of Colossians, we read it like this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In the book of Hebrews, it reads like this. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed, the more earnest heed. What's it say? The more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. You know, perhaps you haven't taken aim to maintain your environment. You haven't been given the more earnest heed to the things you've heard over this past year or maybe even over the past years. Guys, it's a new year, right? It's a new beginning. We serve a God of new beginnings. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It's a new opportunity. Start today. Start right here. Start right now. Say, God, I'm coming home. Don't be deceived here, guys. He says, let the word of God abide in you. That is, live or, or dwell in you. Guys, it goes beyond simply knowing God's word. It's living in and living out God's word. Does this make sense to you? Again, don't be deceived. John isn't saying, well, if you know God's word, you know God. No, listen, you can have what we might call an intellectual knowledge of the word of God. People can quote chapter and verse, entire sections of scripture. They're blowing your mind with what they know. But then it, it becomes apparent they don't know the Lord. But if God's word lives in you, then God lives in you. If, if what you've heard from the beginning, check out the word is abides in you. You will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Guys, this is so important. Jesus said that like this. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. And can I tell you, guys, this is what it's all about. A living, abiding relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. And I should just tell you, this principle of abiding, it's, it's repeated again and again throughout the New Testament. Now we're going to move on, but I want you to understand that abiding, 
in this sense of the word, it is not a passive thing. When you think of abiding, don't think passivity. Don't think I'm just kind of sitting here idly. No, it is an active thing. It's not like the ore of the earth. I mean, there's the gold in the earth or in the rock or what I mean, like just there it is, you know, there it is. It's just abiding there. And, and no, that's not what this is talking about. This is an active intent. Uh, I should say a purposed disciplined, uh, an earnest heed, Yes, to the things we've heard, this is what is involved in abiding in Christ, lest we, remember Hebrews 2, drift. Because I don't want to leave you with the idea that this is all a one-way street either. John chapter 15, as we abide in him, he abides in us. And as I just said, can I say it again? Great is his faithfulness. And he who began a good work in you will be Faithful to complete it. But we read in verse 25, let's kind of move on here. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Come on, somebody say amen to that. (laughs) Follow the flow here. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, If God's word is living in you and you're abiding that is living in the son and in the father, you're in him, he's in you. There is a promise attached to that to you by God who cannot lie. Eternal life. Now, I suppose that begs the question, doesn't it? What is eternal life? And I think it's a subject worth discussing just for just a minute here. Because I would say, I'm just guessing I'm going out on a limb, okay? Just going out on a limb here. And I think that if I were to say, if I were to ask the question, what is eternal life? And you all were just to uh, maybe write it down on a piece of paper. You know, no, don't sign your name or anything. Just write down what is eternal life. Put it in a hat. You know, we'll look at it later or whatever the case may be. We'll call them up. I think that the knee-jerk response of the vast majority of people, uh, if asked what is eternal life, would be something to the effect of immortality. I mean, it means you live forever. But guys, you need to understand that eternal life and immortality are two very different things. Now, of course, the idea of immortality is contained within eternal life. But every human being who has ever lived has immortality. Do you understand that? In the sense that every soul uh, will last forever in eternity. Now, some will be in heaven. Some will be in hell. But God has granted every soul immortality. So eternal life doesn't simply speak of existing forever. It speaks of a certain kind of life, a quality of life that exists in the eternal one himself that he imparts, that he imputes to, shares with you. Now, sometimes people have the misguided notion that eternal life is what we enter into when we die. That's not true. Guys, it's something you lay hold of right here and now by faith in Jesus Christ. 
I'm just going to tell you, listen, don't miss this. If you don't have eternal life now, you won't get it when you die. Okay? The Bible is very clear. Man is appointed once to die and after this, the judgment. It's too late at that point. That's why the promise is so important to us right now. And God does promise it to us if, conditional clause, his word abides in you and you abide in him. Guys, I'm wanting you to see how instrumental the word of God is to our salvation Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God to our sanctification, our ongoing and growing relationship with God. Guys, we are born, you and me, we are born initially of corruptible seed. You understand that. We're born, we live, we die. But when we're born again, as by the spirit of God, the Bible says we are born of incorruptible seed. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. Write it down. Look it up later. It's through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Now listen. I know there's a lot of debate in the Christian community about once saved, always saved. Can I lose my salvation and all of that. But all that controversy can be put away if we would focus rather upon abiding in Christ, abiding in him, his word abiding in us. Family, ladies and gentlemen, those are the grounds of our confidence. The ground of your confidence concerning eternal life is not in the fact that you said a prayer one time at the behest of some preacher The grounds of your confidence is not in the fact that you were baptized as a child when you were 10 or whatever the case may be. Listen to me. If you're not abiding in Christ, there are no grounds for confidence. Now, on the other side of that coin, if you are abiding in Christ, his word is abiding in you. You have every ground of confidence because God has given you that promise. Now look at verse 26. And these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So guys, we got to keep Keep following the flow here. He's given us one line of defense, right? He's already given us the first line of defense concerning the hurdles and the hindrances to our relationship, fellowship with God, and that is to abide in Christ. Let his word abide in us. Here, John draws our attention to another line of defense that God has given us against the dangers and deceptions And that is the anointing that God has given us through his Holy Spirit that enables us to discern and detect error that we might continue in the truth. And I think that we would all agree that we need this in our lives today, perhaps now more than ever before. There are are active deceivers. Guys, hear me. There are active deceivers in this world who want to lead you astray. In fact, Paul told Timothy, again, you can just write it down, read it later. It's in 1 Timothy chapter four, 
that in the last days, deceiving spirits would be on the uprise and increase, seeking to seduce people, that they would have some measure of success, causing some people to depart from the faith. And when you live in a culture of relativism, where there are no absolutes, speak your truth and all of that, false doctrines abound Now, it seems more than ever. And people are willing, it would seem, to accept just about any truth which is not true with the exception of the truth of the word of God. We need the anointing of God in our lives. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, listen to me, you have it. It is not the private property of some select group of elite super saints that have the anointing. No, it is what we might refer to as the common property that belongs to every Christian. Guys, every Christian is indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God will guide you into all truth. Jesus said, when he, that is the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So then, another question we have, right? I know you're thinking it. You thought it when we went through. What did John mean when he said, you do not need that anyone teach you, but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things? Well, gee whiz, I guess we could just fold up shop right here now. Why am I even here? What's the point of a guy like me? We don't need anyone to teach us. Guys, this is where context, not only concerning our passage currently, but throughout the entirety of God's word comes in so critically, right? Think this through. If John meant that there was no need for the office of a gifted teacher of God in our lives, why would he even write this letter? I mean, uh, he wrote the letter to teach them a few things, didn't he? I mean, he told them that. In fact, which part of God's word is not given to instruct us or teach us in some capacity? If, if the Holy Spirit's going to teach us and that's, what, that's all we need, well then, hey, you know, in fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul made it plain. He said, and he, that is Christ himself, God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, in the book of Hebrews, you read it through, you find the author says that they themselves should have been teachers at that time, when in reality, uh, they were needing to be taught. He says, guys, I'm, I'm having to teach you again, but you should be teachers by this point. We read that the apostles taught daily from home to home and in the temple in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Now, we could take the time to develop this and all, but allow me to cut to the chase too. Get to the point. When John is saying that we need no one to teach us but the same anointing, what he's saying here, guys, is that it is the person, it is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life who enables you to comprehend or understand spiritual truth. Okay? It is not the musings, the meditations, the communications of the great man who articulates so carefully, so clearly, so craftily, so good with words. You see, he just helps me. No, listen, apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot accurately or appropriately learn spiritual truth. You just can't do it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't memorize chapter and verse, but you don't know the heart of God that's to be applied through the word of God. 
Paul said it like this. He said, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Why? Because the, 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 uh, the natural man doesn't know the things of God. See, he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now guys, this isn't to say that the Spirit of God won't speak to you personally, uh, show you things specifically in, in your time of study. He will, absolutely. He will teach you, just like that. But I'm telling you, if I'm up here teaching and God's Word is resonating in you, it's making sense to you, it's coming alive for you, it's challenging you, it's changing you, it's not because I'm so great at what I do. Sometimes people get that twisted. Man, you know, man, that preacher, take me out of the equation. Man, that guy, he's, so, he's such a, he just really, and, and all the things. But listen, it's because of the anointing that's in you. The Holy Spirit is teaching you. He's opening your understanding that you might comprehend his word. Do you, you follow me there? You know, back in August-ish, uh, you know, the Lord just placed it on my heart. I was at a conference, just placed it in my heart to open up my social media, you know, a little bit more in a direct, intentional way with regard to evangelism, getting out the gospel, um, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, encouraging believers, so on and so forth. So I've been doing that, right? And man, some of the responses that I have gotten to these little videos that I'm throwing out, I'm just telling you, they are manifest evidence that the natural man cannot discern spiritual matters. I, I mean, people want to argue. Uh, they want to advance their point. They want to try to appear intelligent. But I'm telling you, professing to be wise, they become fools. It's, it's evident that they, they you know, though they think they have this airtight argument logically, they just don't have a clue concerning the reality of what's taking place spiritually. Um, man, I had this guy want to engage and argue with me about some things, and I won't do that. I'll give someone one or two responses typically just to see if they genuinely have a, a, a desire or if they just want to be argumentative for the sake of trying to show themselves, you know. And, uh, and so finally, I just came to the point where I just said, hey, listen, fella, keep seeking, keep searching, um, and, and, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, but you just, you really don't know what you're talking about on, you know, biblically and this and that. And, uh, he was like, ha ha, I've read the Bible cover to cover twice. Uh, I've had 12 years of, you know, he's flashing his credentials and, and, and really all I could think is always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, the natural man does not discern or distinguish spiritual matters. It's nothing short of the anointing of the spirit of God that enables you to learn or understand God's word in truth. Do you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus when it says that Jesus opened their understanding that they might comprehend his word? I just... There's something that resonates in me every time I read that or think through that. And I'm just telling you that if Jesus doesn't open your understanding, you will never comprehend his word. 
It is not PhDs. It is not degrees in theology that enables you to learn. It is the Holy Spirit who opens our understanding and teaches us concerning all things. And guys, it's okay to ask for that. Listen, I ask the Lord on the regular to open my understanding, to teach me, to lead me, to help me in my observations and interpretations and applications. And God is faithful to meet me and to speak to my heart. And sometimes it's through that still small voice, right? Sometimes it may be through another pastor or or teacher that I'm listening to or some commentary that I'm reading through or whatever the case may be, but the Spirit will teach me through them. Either way, the Holy Spirit is the resource for knowing and understanding spiritual truth. And let me say this as well, and we're not too far from finished, guys, but let me say this. If you choose not to listen to the Holy Spirit, you're on the lookout for this new exciting thing. Well, you're liable to end up or to wind up in any number of goofy doctrines or under some strange teacher because, listen, the Spirit will lead you into all truth, But can I say he's not going to jerk you up by the lapel, slap you around, and force you into all truth? Man, we wish he would, you know. But you have a will of your own. He will honor that. He won't force you into all truth, but he will lead you, draw you closer to Jesus Christ if you abide in him. Now look at verse 28 and 29, guys. And now little children... Abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You see, there it is again. Your grounds for confidence at the appearing of Christ, the safety net of abiding, or is the safety net of abiding in Christ, okay? So your confidence at the appearing of Christ is the safety net of abiding in Christ. By the way, we note that Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. I mean, I tell you, he will appear to receive us unto himself. Now, a couple things here real quick, guys. Number one, you should see it. There are a number of responses to the return of Jesus Christ that people will have. Some people uh, will be afraid. There they are. They're unsaved. They never believed upon him. They never submitted their lives to him. And I'm just going to tell you, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But even among those who know him, there will be some who are ashamed before him. Why? Because they were not found abiding in him. That is, there's some sort of compromise or or sin that they've been dabbling in. And, you know, this isn't too unlike that which the Apostle Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, there will be those, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, there will be those who, who make it to heaven, but, but just by the proverbial skin of their teeth, you know, they will suffer loss, he said, yet they themselves will be saved. Now, and I, who's closing? Karen, come on. And it, guys, it's, it's worth thinking about this for just a minute or two as we move toward our close here. Because here's what I want you to think about. How fine is the line 
between barely saved and nearly saved. You know, every now and then, you'll run across the person who has questions like, well, can I do this and, and still go to heaven? And, and the question that they're really entertaining is how much can I sin and still be saved? Guys, that is a very dangerous line of reasoning to be dabbling in. What's the heart behind that kind of question? Our motive should be, how close to Jesus can I get? Guys, I don't want to be ashamed at his appearing. Uh, We're to abide in him. And if we abide in him, he will abide in us. Now, again, the idea is dwelling with or living in. Guys, Jesus doesn't want to be in your heart like a hotel room. You know what I'm talking about? It's like just visiting now and then, nice enough and all, but it's not a permanent residence. He wants to settle down and have his home in your heart. Are you hearing me? Look at verse 29. And if you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone that practices righteousness is born, there's our word, of him. Or as we like to say, the apple never falls too far from the tree. If you're born of God, if you are born again, there will be an identity and a lived out responsibility consistent with who you are in Christ as his son or his daughter. We have a new nature in Christ. One that is consistent with his own. Why? Because it is of his own. And so if someone claims to be born again, yet the practice of their lives is not consistent with the nature of Christ, I got to tell you, there's something wrong there. My son, Isaiah, (laughs) he's sitting there with his head down because he's afraid I'm going to call him out. But I'm telling you, if he's heard it once, he's heard it a thousand times. Man, you look just like your dad. Well, listen, I could call him up here and let you see. see, No, I won't. (laughs) You know, but here's the here's the idea, guys. When when someone is born of another, there's generally a can I say family resemblance. Now, we won't perfect righteousness here and now, but we will certainly practice righteousness. You will take after your heavenly father. Guys, John keeps it real simple, and and, and we're going to finish with this. If you don't take after your heavenly father, you are not born of him. Which brings us back full circle to the promise we have in him, eternal life. And so if that's your need, you're here today, you don't know the Lord, you've never given your heart to the Lord, listen, don't put it off another day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So let's bow our hearts. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us and you share truth, truth with us that we might know you, be found in you and stand humbly confident before you.
God, we thank you for the resources you've given to us. And we would pray that you would teach us by your spirit, that you would sharpen our discernment, that you would help us to shine as lights in this dark world, leading others to you for the glory of your name.